Welcome to the Immigrant Computer Scientists podcast, where we talk to computer scientists who immigrated from their home countries for study or for work or for other reasons. In these oral history interviews, you will find established and renowned computer scientists from across academia and industry narrating their experiences of immigrating from where they grew up to a completely different land, often the US. My name is Indy Gupta, and I'm your host. The IOI is one of the largest international Olympiads held for secondary school students worldwide, and each country sends a team. The puzzles at the IOI are a combination of algorithmics and programming. Remember, these are high school students. The IOI has been held annually since 1989. Over 1,100 medals have been given out since then, including over 400 gold medals. We talked to one of the few women gold medal winners at the IOI, Danchi Chen, now assistant professor of computer science at Princeton University. She was the only woman gold medal winner worldwide at the Informatics Olympiad in 2008. Nanchi Chen says she was probably the only female gold medalist from China in the 20 years leading up to 2008. In fact, according to a report by Stefano Maggiolo in 2015, we'll link this report from our website, of the over 5,000 contestants in about 25 years of the Informatics Olympiads from 89 to 2014, only around 2.6% of contestants were women. In 2008, Danchi, you went to the IOI, the International Informatics Olympiad. What was it like there, you know, being essentially one of the few girls or the only girl there uh, surrounded by boys? How was that experience? First, uh, I need to say that that was actually also my first experience actually leaving China, I mean, going abroad. So I was very nervous and about this, um, attending this kind of international competitions. At that time, I hadn't really thought too much about, like, uh, there were too few um, female uh, uh, students here, probably because I was just used to that environment at that time. Um, yeah, but it's really true. And I remember even for the dormitory I lived, um, so the IOI that year was held in Egypt. So all those, yeah, so all the students were living in dormitories. And uh, I remember I only had one roommate at that time, just because they were not from Bangladesh. Mm. So I remember there were just very, very few female participants mm. at the time. Looking back, do you feel that um, you had to work uh, extra hard um, just because you were a girl in, in this minority or were you just doing your natural thing? I would say um, in high school, because we had a team um, in my high school that we were all trained together. In our team, there were like two or three female students, but all the others were, were boys. And um, first, I, was, I should say, I definitely got used to, um, I hung out with them all the time. I got used to uh, that environment. But I, when I looking, uh, looking back, like, um, I would say I also made some effort to make friends with them. Um, I haven't thought too much about this boy versus girl thing at that time, but um, but right now I have been definitely giving more thoughts into this problem. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the uh, International Olympiad in Informatics, the IOI. Uh, 
our listeners may have heard of the International Math Olympiad, uh, uh, and some of them may know its structure. Um, in the Informatics Olympiad, uh, do you work individually? Do you work in teams? How, how does the progression of competition go? So it's definitely an individual competition. So there are basically like um, five um, subjects who ha- which have these like international competitions or uh, Olympic competitions. So that's in mathematics, physics, chemistry, biology, and informatics. Um, so for the IOI competitions, so again, like the individual competition, and uh, there are basically two um, two exams. And uh, each exam, if I... Um, and just uh, make sure, uh, I think it's five hours and uh, three problems in, in each of those exams. So basically each participant um, was given um, three problems to solve. And uh, you need to basically code up three programs to solve each individual problem. And uh, each problem, I think is like 100 pro- points. And um, you, basically after you submit the program, and uh, your program will be basically tested by some test cases. And uh, we'll also receive the corresponding um, test points. And these are algorithmic problems? Yeah, pretty much just like algorithm problems. Yeah. And you actually have to write a program that compiles? Yes, that's correct. Yes. And what language? Was there, you can use any language or was there a specified language? Um, most participants at that time actually used uh, Pascal or C. Yeah, I'm not sure if actually Python is allowed these days. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. But I can tell you like a funny thing that yeah. I was actually learning C and C++ at the time, C++ at the time. So I actually used the Pascal in my day one competition and you see in my day two competition. So I used two programming languages. That's very, very uncommon for sure. Very unusual, yeah. Yeah. And why did you switch to using a different language? Yeah, I, I feel definitely regret a little bit for that decision after so many years. Uh, just because I did pretty well in my day one competition. And I had some kind of confidence that, okay, maybe I should try, uh, see, use, try to use another language in the second, in day two. Yeah, but I actually made a mistake on my uh, second competition. Yeah. Because you were not as familiar with... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you write these programs and then uh, they run the programs on the input and are the points scored for correctness, speed, um, or both of them? Oh, only for the correctness. But each test case, uh, there is a time limit and the time limit is actually a part of the problem description. So mm-hmm. basically like um, um, also different problems are actually des- uh, different test cases are designed with like different sides of the inputs. So the, for some smaller inputs, so your, your program, even if, for example, if you code up like uh, algorithm in like O n cube, cube uh, complexity, uh, it, it's not a problem. So you can still get that, um, that um, point. But right. for some others, maybe it's just too slow to finish that program in the, limited, uh, in the time limit. Can you give an example of a, of a problem, a sample problem? There are actually a lot of problems about uh, dynamic programming and uh, data structures. But all these problems actually come with a very nice story and a background. So it feels like a more practical problem that um, students need to solve. But you actually need to build a mathematical model and figure out, okay, what should be the right algorithm that you want to do that. Um, when you went to Egypt, uh, it was a team of students and maybe leaders who mm-hmm. went from, uh, from China to Egypt. In preparing uh, for this International Olympiad, 
um, how was the program? How did the program prepare you in China for this? In the last year of my high school, uh, so that there was a selection process. So, so first, basically, like twenty students were chosen for preparing for that competition, and I think a couple months before the uh, the IOI competition, four uh, four students out of those twenty students will f- be finally chosen as the China uh, the Chinese selection team. Or I don't know the Chinese team. Yes, I see. And um, yeah, so during basically like the course of the like one year's preparation, um, so basically students, it's actually very fun. I I just want to say that it's really um. I really still miss those days. Yeah, just um, because all these students actually know each other very well, and uh, they they actually um, try to solve problems together, or even change others of uh, difficult problems. And also, these people can brainstorm together and also come up with different solutions to the same problem. Mm. I think that was actually a very fun process. So, so the one year of preparation uh, was there. Uh, was there much training provided, or was it just the exercise or practice of solving problems? So, the, all these twenty students actually come from different parts of China. So, they still just stay in their hometown, and uh, they still need to go to um, the the school like uh, regularly. Not really regularly because. Uh, yeah, so just because of the reasons that um, a lot of uh, students need to prepare for the national college entrance exam. But yeah. for all these 20 students, they know that they, they don't need to take that exam at that point. I see, I see. Yes. So, so they still take some classes, but they can have extra time, a lot of free time to, right. uh, to prepare for this uh, Olympic competitions. Yeah. I see. So your life is made a little bit easier by taking one thing off your plate so you can focus on the Olympiad. Yeah, exactly. Because you've already written an exam and you've already gotten in the top 20 in the the country. Exactly. Uh, Was there any other interesting experience from the Olympiad uh, before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, I would just say like um, I got to know a lot of friends uh, just even at a young stage. And then some, many of them actually went to Tsinghua University together with me. And uh, that was really a very like a fun experience. And also you also mentioned this individual versus team exam, uh, team competitions. So in, actually in college, there is also very similar competition called ACM ICPC programming context. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of students just move yeah. from uh, this kind of individual competition to the team competition. So that is actually like three students actually form a team and try to solve problems and collaborate together mm-hmm. in a, like a limited time with only one computer. It's a kind of preparation for the ICPC. And of course, the ICPC is well known in universities and yeah. pretty much all the US universities send teams to the ICPC. Yeah, Finally, we have Jelani Nelson, professor of computer science at UC Berkeley. He grew up in the U.S. Virgin Islands. You know, there's there's basically this Olympic event at the high school level called the IOI, the International Olympiad for Informatics. Each country selects a team of four high schoolers to represent them, and you know, competes you know live at you know in some physical. You know, it's a phys- they fly to the, some location. It's a different country every year and um, compete. It's like the Olympics, right? But for programming. Um, so anyway, 
you know, how do you get on the American team for this, right, in high school? Well, there are some online contests. And if you do well enough over the course of a few contests, um, you get invited to participate in a summer training camp, which is held in South Carolina, because that's where the coach is based at Clemson, uh, Clemson University. And then, you know, there was some, there's some training there and there are some contests that are run locally there. And then if you do very well there, then you get selected to be on the, the four-person team. But, you know, probably something like 20 people, I don't remember the exact number, but let's say roughly 20 people get invited to the summer camp every summer, but only four are picked to be on the team. So I was invited to give a talk to the training team, at least 20 people, mm. last summer, 2020. Mm. Um, and, you know, the idea was to let these kids know about what like professional algorithms looks like later, like a research, a researcher in algorithms, what are they doing now? Because a lot of the algorithms you learn for those kinds of Olympiads were algorithms that were developed decades ago, right? right. They don't know what modern algorithms research looks like. So, you know, I put together such a talk, basically like a research talk, but I had to like, you know, make sure to say a little bit more uh, of the definitions because these were high schoolers. Um, but at the very end, I, I kind of, once I finished talking about research, I touched on another topic, which was the following. Um, before the talk, I looked at the USACO website yeah. and I looked at who the kids were that made it to the training camp. Yeah. And, you know, it lists for each kid, it lists the high school that they're coming from. And I looked at that website for the last decade and I just made, I just made a spreadsheet. And I just looked at, you know, okay, how many kids came from each state? Okay. And then I actually put it on a, put it into a heat map. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can go, I think, tinyurl.com slash map. You can go and see it yourself. If you look at, you know, how many how many distinct kids made it to that training camp over a decade, like 2011 to 2020, um, is around 120, 130 unique kids. Mm -hmm. There are some kids who make it multiple years. I only counted them once. And then I asked the question of, okay, how many came from California? How many came from Florida, et cetera, et cetera? Of the 50 United States of America, you know, there are 20, 24 states that sent zero kids to the camp in a decade. Um, if you look at the remaining 26 states, 13 of them, you know, the, the one or more kid who came from that state in a decade all attended the same high school in the state. Mm. And then if you look at, okay, like, okay, so what are the top states? Number one, California, 60 kids, 6-0. Mm -hmm. Number two, I believe, is, is Virginia. Mm -hmm. Virginia was about 15, 16 kids. Mm -hmm. Then Texas. And then it starts getting sub-10. Massachusetts was like seven kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. N uh, New York, the state of New York sent two kids oh. compared to 60 from California, right? And then I zoomed in on those Californians. Okay, what's going on in California? You know, of the 60, 57 were from the Bay Area. And from the 57, I think all but one were from the South Bay, meaning not San Francisco, not Berkeley, not Oakland, not Walnut Creek. They were all from a very small, like five, 10 mile radius around Stanford, right? And, you know, so you, you could say, oh, of course, it's because Google's there, Apple's there, all these tech parents are telling their kids to, to do this. I mean, that's probably part of it, but also... It turns out there was like a pay-to-train training camp there where like it's an after-school activity. Parents can send their kids there and pay money. And former Olympians who are on teams are paid to train these kids, right? So, you know, it's access to opportunity. It's awareness of the opportunity. 
Like when I was in high school, I never even knew that the IOI existed. As I mentioned, I never even heard of MIT. Yeah. And you know, when I went to college, um, I had MIT actually, I told MIT like I'm willing to advertise for the school and they, they paid my plane ticket to fly home during spring break, I remember once or twice, and gave me a bunch of flyers to visit high schools and encourage kids to apply to MIT. And I remember going to one of the high schools and this, the kids saying, oh yeah, MIT, okay, yeah, I never heard of it, but you know, I was considering going to DeVry or, or you know, ITT, so maybe I'll look at MIT too, right? Like people just had no clue what MIT was. So um, I think it starts, you know, part of it is just like, um, just evangelize it to more people, you know, get, get people in the pipeline earlier. I mean, because that's another thing that I think getting in early is important because it's true that you don't have to be exposed to CS before college to be successful at CS. But, you know, I, but it's hard to, you know, but I think being exposed earlier helps, right? It does give you a leg up. Um, and, you know, I, I look at some of our the star, you know, PhD applicants who apply and they have all these papers in, in real conferences during undergrad, et cetera. And I, I know some of them because, you know, I, I taught some of them in classes as a, as a professor. And some of them, you know, you look at, you look, dig a little more into their background. You know, they, they came into college basically knowing what research was. Like their parents had PhDs. Maybe they did the Intel Science Fair in high school. Maybe they did the Olympiads or whatever, right? So, you know, um, it helps to be exposed early. You know, I didn't know what research was. I didn't really know what a PhD was until I got to MIT. And even then, it took time for me to figure out what it was. If you haven't already done so, please listen to the previous segments in the show. We covered Yugoslavia in episodes 1 through 4, Brazil in episodes 5 through 8, the Middle East in episodes 9 through 12, U.S. Virgin Islands in episode 13, and China in episode 14, and several anonymous narrators featured in episode 15. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes from the Immigrant Computer Scientist podcast as we visit other parts of the world. All the music used in episodes of the Immigrant Computer Scientist podcast is royalty-free. All voice recordings were performed with and are reproduced with full consent of narrators and participants. You can find music credits on our website. Join the online discussion about this podcast on all major social media, including Twitter and Facebook, with the handle CSImmigrant and hashtag CSImmigrant. And of course, the episode guide is available at our website, csimmigrant.org. This is the Immigrant Computer Scientists Podcast.